0: Father, we do know that we can trust you, for you are a loving, kind God, and that you show your grace and mercy to us every moment of every day. And, Father, truly, you are sovereign of all your creation, and you are in control, and that you love those who believe and those who worship you in spirit and in truth. And, Father, we just pray that your word will be proclaimed this morning by Judd. Go forth in power and in spirit and truth, Father that hearts would be changed, lives would be saved, and most of all, Lord Father, that your name would be glorified above all others. so thankful Lord that you are God Lord and that you sent your son to this earth and he saved us from our sin our destruction, our shame Lord and not only did he save us Lord but he gave us eternal life Lord we're so thankful Lord that we can come into your house this morning Lord that we can sing songs of hope songs of joy and all because of you. So we
1: thank you and we praise your name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Children, you're dismissed. There they go, full of life. Well, I have contacted someone at the school about the uncomfortable temperature in here said gymnasium slash sanctuary. Uh, until that gets changed, we'll be starting a coat ministry next week. For those who might not have brought your coats, <laughs> it is chilly in here, and I apologize. Hopefully, they'll leave that heater on next week. Uh, we, were, we studied it in Sunday school, but for those of you that weren't in there, uh, we covered It Is Well With My Soul. A little history there, uh, Horatio Spafford lost his one and only son Uh, back in 1870, maybe, or 1850, I forget. And then he had a wife and four daughters left, and then uh, there was a great Chicago fire, and he lost everything that he had. And a couple years later, they were gonna go take a vacation in in London or in England somewhere, and so he sent his wife and four daughters over prior to because he had to get some things done. And, And that ship was struck, 226 people were killed, And the wife gets to um, London, sends him a telegram and says, alone survived, what should I do? And so he immediately gets on a ship and he's sailing over there. And at the point, literally um, right around where he lost his daughters, uh, the Lord gave him those words. And so I thank him. I thank the Lord for those words. I thank Horatio for writing them down. Uh, so that we can sing that, because I know even in this uh, small congregation that we have, we've had some uh, sorrows like sea billows roll, but the Lord is good, and it is well with our souls. We're going to do something today that is something we've never done at Eagle Bible Church. We may never do it again, and if you did this as a kid, this is not, uh, don't harken back to traditional reading of the text, Uh, but I wanted to read you what we're going to do, because it came to me, I thought, well, this is the perfect time to do it. And you have an easy part in this. Psalm 136, it says, This hymn calls on worshiping congregation to give thanks to the Lord, who has shown his steadfast love throughout history of God's people. The psalm includes a more recent act of God's deliverance and care. And each verse of this song has the same refrain, for his steadfast love endures forever. One cannot miss the theme Perhaps this song was sung responsively, with a priest leading and with the, with the first line of each verse and the Levitical choir or the whole congregation replying with the refrain. So I thought it would be fun if we would all stand up and you don't even leave, need to look at your Bible. It's all gonna be up here. But I will read the first part and you will read your part. Uh, your part, by the way, is for his steadfast love endures forever. And that is it for 26 verses. So let us do this as a way of uh, fulfilling 1 Timothy 4.13. I will begin. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders. to him who by his understanding made the heavens to him who spread out the earth above the waters to him who made the great lights the sun to rule over the day the moon and stars to rule over the night you get the point <laughs> To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm, to him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. And gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel his servant. It is he who remembered us in our low estate and rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh, give thanks to the God of heaven. Father, thank you for such a powerful psalm. I pray we do not miss the point that your steadfast love as we sang earlier and as we'll look into now is forever. That is a concept, Lord, we don't quite get here as human beings, but one day we will. I pray now as we open your word that you would be glorified. We would learn, we would love, and we would leave a legacy to the next generation. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to begin this with a little video.
2: I'm filled with gratitude for all what you've been providing to me. I am thankful for my hands because they're the first production of my fruits. I am thankful for my school because it made me know who I am and what I can become in my near future. I am thankful for my teachers as it's believed one teacher can shape a student, one student can shape the whole world. for the library because it keeps my thirst of reading fulfilled. I am thankful for my mom and dad because they brought me to this world. I am thankful for food because it makes me healthy and strong. I am thankful for music because it sings my joy out. I am thankful for having big dreams because I believe one day I will change the world. For the technology and internet, which makes my voice heard all over the world. I am thankful to be a Tanzanian because I believe I am rich and smart. I am thankful for Epic Change and my other friends supporting my precious school. Lastly, I am thankful to be alive. Leah Albert future president.
1: The next slide should show a picture of this uh, organization. It's called Epic Change, and this one aspect of it is Epic Thanks. And from the website, it says, Epic Thanks is a global celebration that aims to change the world through the power of gratitude. It's a great idea. And Leah Albert's letter is sincere. She's thankful for her hands, her school, her parents, food, music. Uh, She's thankful for that organization. She's thankful to be alive. And that's wonderful. But as sincere and true as that principle is, something's missing there. Videos like this are good. But something vital is missing. Leah wanted to thank the universe She wanted to recognize, and she does. Her little heart does recognize something, something that's greater than herself because God has put it in her little heart that there's eternity, and that's what she's longing for. But as Romans says in Romans 1, we won't go there, it just says that she has exchanged the glory and the immortal God for creation. She thanks the universe for providing all that she has. As neat as Epic Thinks is, uh, and as well done as that video is, I'd like the opportunity, I'd like for us to have the opportunity to go and show them the God who created the universe. The God who created her parents and through whom where she was created that gave her the hands and the mind and the heart. As much as she's longing for something, something is missing. She's missing God the Father from whom all goodness flows. And it's to him that she should be writing her letters of thanks, her letters of gratitude. Praise the Lord that in his word we have that. We have that as we just read in Psalm 136. Turn there if you would. It's actually a song. It's a song of thanksgiving. It's one of several songs of thanksgiving. And this is coming upon us faster than we know it. One week from Thursday, I believe, is thanksgiving. And so today we're going to understand what is thanksgiving and what should we do in response. Uh, We're going to look at the text. Uh, What we're going to do here is we're going to pull out that common thread. Uh, We're going to look at the truth of the text and then we're going to apply it to our life. This, if you were to title it, it's Psalm 136, give thanks to the Lord. And that's how the psalmist, uh, we don't know who the psalmist is. It's not given a title, but if you were to look back, starting in Psalm 120, the Psalms of the Ascent's Uh, are of David and then the Psalms right after this Psalm 138 is of David and so we could probably assume that maybe the king the busy king of Israel though he had lots to do took time to in poetry uh give gratitude to God above and so he begins and what we're not going to do is go through every single line of for his steadfast love endures forever because uh We'll just hit it once, but he begins with this. He begins with a command Give thanks to the Lord. Three times. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to God. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts. And again in 26, give thanks to the Lord. It's a command. It's a command to give thanks. And literally that word means to acknowledge or to confess. It's specific. It calls for us to think about God and then express those thoughts in worship. Much like what Ben said. It's that inner uh, attitude that is expressed in action. That is what thanksgiving is. If you were to look up Thanksgiving in a dictionary, a pagan dictionary that has nothing to do with Christianity, they write, and I quote, the act of giving thanks, an expression of thanks to God, a public act of religious observance or a celebration in acknowledgement of divine favors. I like that. Let me do a little apologetics here. Uh, The government recognizes this as a national holiday. And I went and did some research of where that word holiday came from. And that word holiday that we will put out there and we say happy holiday season. Trying to avoid the idea that Christmas is coming. Uh, Even the old English word means holy day. It was invented for those who would take time off to celebrate God. So even our atheist friends who try to get away from the idea that Christmas is coming, let's just call it the holiday season. Just a little uh, bridge for you to have a conversation with them. That holiday means holy day. Holiday uh, is something that we are going to celebrate now. It's a holy day and it's a time for us to go and share the good news. The word thanksgiving is thanks, thanksgiving, or... um, thankful is used 103 to about 120 times in the Bible, depending on how you translate certain words. Did you know 97% of the time that word is used? It is a thanksgiving from to God from us for something else. 97% of the time, only twice in the Bible, and those are arguable, uh, that you give a thanksgiving to a person. of the time, and I don't think it's that we don't stop we're gonna change the world and start doing thank yous different, but the idea, the concept is, is when we are thankful, our initial reaction should be we are thankful to God for something, and we express that to others. And so here in this psalm, we'll just say it's David. David says, Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to God, and then you see this thread. If that's the command, then you see this common thread in every single refrain. You repeated it twenty six times, for His steadfast love endures forever. It's the Hebrew word Chesed. Now I want everybody to say that, and you just kind of cough as you say say Chesed. See there is, you now know Hebrew. This is this is one of the most important words in the Old Testament. It's called the loyal love of God. If you have a King James, they've translated it mercy. If you have a New American Standard, they've translated it loving kindness. The New Living translated it has translated it faithful love. The ESV says steadfast love. The NET Bible says loyal love. The NIV says love It's because nobody can capture in an English language what this hesed word means. To do so, you would have to say the love, mercy, grace, kindment, judgment, truth of God every time you say it. It's basically, this is who God is. In short, as one has said, it is the quality that moves a person to act on the benefit of another, here's the key, without respect to the advantage it might bring to one who expresses it. God, who is everything and is good, gives everything for the benefit of all people. It's loving, it's doing it because it's right, it's the right thing to do, it's the joy that it brings without regard to what you get in return. And so we're called to give thanks, and the reason is because God, in his essence, in his being, and the action of that is steadfast love, endures forever so the next time we sing that song forever this psalm should come to mind it is a love that when I first learned of it I first learned of it from my mother and she said you will not truly know the depth of love until you have kids and here I am at age 12 or whatever and I'm like okay fair enough mother but you know what mama was right Because when you have kids, there's not anything, uh, well, hyperbolically speaking, there's not anything you wouldn't do for them. You think about your children, if you have them and you know that there's this deep love that you have and you give your life for their benefit without regard to what happens to you. In fact, when I was thinking about this concept, this song just kept coming to my mind I'm going to read you the wonderful lyrics of this theologian. I got sent home from school one day with a shiner on my eye. Fighting was against the rules and it didn't matter why. When dad got home, I told that story just like I'd rehearsed and stood there on those trembling knees and waited for the worst. And then the daddy said, let me tell you a secret about a father's love. He goes on to say, daddies don't just love their children every now and then. It's a love without end, amen. That's the idea. It's a love without end, amen. For that is the steadfast love of the Lord, and it goes on forever. Just so you know, the book of Ruth, you know what one of the key words in the book of Ruth is. The loving kindness of the Lord. So, you're going to see this chesed love in living color for the rest of this fall until Christmas. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And then the psalmist here is going to tell us why we should give thanks. Give thanks, and he's going to break it down into the person of God and the works of God. Give thanks to the Lord. Our God is a good and sovereign ruler. Number one, we know he is our God because this is in the Psalter. This is composed by someone who wanted people to gather together to express thoughts of worship. He is our God. It's a, he's a covenant member. God is not just the God of individuals. He's the God of community. And he is good. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. This is the one word where it gets, it's almost overused in our culture today. Man, that was a good cup of coffee. But that's what's used to describe God. And Jesus said, for no one is good but God. And I, the only concept I could think of when I see it in this context, give thanks to the Lord for his good, is his holiness. Everything about him is good. His love is good. His judgment is good. His mercy is good. His wrath, his wrath is good. It's perfect. It's holy. Go on in verse 2, and you see, give thanks to the God of gods. And you're thinking, well, are there other gods? It's about him being the sovereign God. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. There's not really any other gods. Isaiah 46 says it like this. It's not up there, but you can listen to it. Remember this and stand firm. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. There are no other gods. And so when the psalmist says, Give thanks to the God of gods, he's talking about this is the one who rules over all beings. Give thanks to the sovereign ruler. He's the Lord of lords. Yes, there may be leaders in our country. Yes, there may be leaders throughout the world. These, the, the idea of Lord there is ruler, but there is one who is sovereign over them all. He is the King of kings. He is our God, and He is a sovereign good ruler. That is who God is. And then the rest of this psalm, all the way through verse 22, he wants to show us the works of God. And he's going to break it down into the natural history, creation, and salvation history, our redemption. He says this, starting in verse 4. Give th- he goes like this. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever to him who alone does great wonders. I think of David when he said in Psalm 131, You alone do great things. I'm humbled because I try things that are too great and too marvelous for me. And so in verse 4, it's comprehensive of creation. Uh, There are times where we discuss, well, is creation old earth or young earth, but not here. This is celebration. This is worship. It's as if this psalmist puts all the wrangling of theories aside, and he just delights in his creator. To him who alone does great wonders... And the sad thing is unbelievers can't fully understand it. And when they do approximate it, all they're living out is Romans 1 and Romans 2 where it says God has set eternity in their heart. They're longing for this God that we know about. And in 5 and 6, basically 5 through 9, he gets detailed in this design, these great wonders. He says this, To him who by understanding made the heavens, to him who spread out the earth above the waters... To him who made the great lights. And so you see in these, the next few verses, it should pop up there. This is a God who is not only over everything, but he gets detailed in some things. He is purposeful in his provision. The heavens above. Last night they brought in some snow. The earth and the sea below to allow us to live and play and then in 7, he says, who gives the great lights? And in 8, he says, the sun to rule over the day, the moon and the stars to rule over the night. He is purposeful. He gives the sun because he knows that the land cannot uh, survive without the sun. And at night, he doesn't want it to be pitch black. And so he created the moon, which is a reflection of the sun. God has given rhythms, day and night, little implication here, a little sermon within a sermon. Probably going to spend a little more on that around the new year. If God has so ordered our days, the question we need to ask is, do we have a healthy pattern of work and play? Do we order our days and night? Or do our days run into our nights and our nights run into our days? Psalm 127, 1 and 2, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that we rise up early and go to late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. And I love this time of year because it just gets dark so early. God is so good because he knows we need rest. And he said, I'm going to make it dark early. I mean, we're eating dinner at 5.30. I'm like, kids, it's time for bed. (laughs) No, I said, it's dark outside. You need to go to bed. Order your days, Luke. (laughs) God is good. He's given us rhythms. And creation is just a picture of it. You could go to Romans and it talks about the strength and the attributes of God. They're perceived, they're reflected in creation. The creator who gave the world will run it without us. That's why he gave us the moon at night and he wants us to sleep. That's why Psalm 127 is so nice. He'll run it without us. Every night when we go to bed, a prayer could be, thank you, Lord, for this pillow, this mattress, this bed. I fully understand that you don't need me. And so I'm going to lay my head, and I, I fully understand, I've often thought this, because I there's for some reason, and I've done this before, if I go on a trip, if I go to a conference, if I go out of town for an item, my special prayer is, Lord, protect my family while I'm away. As if, like when I'm there, you don't, have to get, don't worry about it now, God, because I'm here. That's so arrogant. I should be praying that every night. God, I'm putting my head down on this pillow, and if someone break in, I mean, I want Ashley to get up and just, no, I'm just kidding. I would get up and do that. But the idea is God takes care of us. God takes care of us. And he hasn't left one thing to chance, not even our redemption. And that's what we get into the next section. In 10 through 16, he says, To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and who brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm to to him who divided the Red Sea in two but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea to him who led his people through the wilderness. And so he moves from creation to redemption. He's not only the creator, he's the redeemer, but, but having read those seven verses, you think to yourself, well, well wait, wait, we started with creation. Why do we need redemption? How did we, how did we get to a point where we're even in Egypt and we're enslaved? How did how we get there? Why, why does he need to divide the Red Sea in two? And who is this Pharaoh. And so it implied even in this particular Psalm, if you were to, if you're a note taker in your Bible, you would put in between verses 9 and 10, you would put, I need to go back and look at Genesis 3 because that's where sin enters the world. I'd need to look at Genesis 4 because that's where sin spreads through the world. In Genesis 6, God grieves because there's only evil in their heart continually. And then he judges the world, and he begins again. But then in, seven, in Genesis 11, he watches the people he's created, the people that he's provided for, and all they do is they say, let me build my house, and let me do my things. And he said, no, if I, if I don't go down there and do something about it, let us go down and confuse their language. And so at Babel, he scatters the people. And so he'll start a people from Ur, he'll take Abraham from Ur the Chaldeans and he'll start a people. But then there's this other people in Egypt. And when we get to the end of Genesis, they end up in Egypt through Joseph and they're dwelling in the land. And then you get the beginning of Exodus. You get this Pharaoh who did not know Joseph rises to power. And he starts to enslave those people. And so there's your context. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, he gave 10 plagues just every single time. Are you going to listen to me? And Pharaoh, uh, there's another sermon for another day. Did God harden Pharaoh's heart or did Pharaoh harden Pharaoh's heart? Yes, that's what the Bible says. And over and over and over again until the firstborn son is taken. And he leads Israel out with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. He divides the Red Sea in two. So wonderful is the text that you go and you read that and they walk through on dry ground. Two verses later, their wheels are getting stuck in the mud. That's a, yes, he is holding up the waters. That's absolutely phenomenal, but it's dry ground. They get to the other side. There's no need to kick off the mud. They just keep going. But all of a sudden, after they get through, he's like, I'm going to make it muddy again. Watch this. <laughs> and they get in, and their chariot wheels get stuck. And so the host of them, there were tons of Egyptians coming, and they get trapped in the mud, and then he just pff, allows the water to come back. And he doesn't stop there. The people get through there. And they're in this wilderness. He's going to guide them through. Through people? But don't miss the point. It is God here who has the big guns. It is God here who leads and guides his people. And so there is the Exodus there, and then you see in 17 through 22, the conquest to him who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan. You see those two guys, they're first mentioned in Numbers 21, and you see them mentioned throughout the Old Testament, because they are the epitome of those who hated God's people. Here are God's people wandering in the wilderness, trying to cut through uh, that land, and they go to, to Sihon, and they said, hey, we're, we're, not, we're not here to take into your land. God's got a land for us. We just want to kind of move on through. We won't even take uh, any of your food, so we're just going to get through. No. In fact, no, and I'm going to try to conquer you. And so God conquers them. To Og, king of Bashan, same thing. And he gave the land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his servant. And so it is God who conquers kings. We took down Praise the Lord, Saddam Hussein and bin Laden, but it is God who took them down in his good timing. Why he waited and did what he did, that is not for us to to debate or discuss. We just know that is what happened. Dictators throughout all centuries, nobody can stand up to God. There is no Sion, there's no Og, there's no Saddam, there's no bin Laden who's bigger than the God we serve. Amen? Amen. And here's the interesting thing about this. If you just look at that and you know your Old Testament, you read through it, you're saying, but the people had to take part in that. So you're telling me it is God who gave these kings and took these kings, but the people had a part to play. And it's, you're telling me God is the one who is in sovereign control of it, but he uses people to do it. That's what I'm telling you. No, that's what the Bible says. Look at um, Joshua 1, if you would. Uh, Joshua 1 10 and 11. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provi- provisions. For within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go into the to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Take possession of what God is giving. And if you were to go back and read Deuteronomy and Deuteronomy 7 and Deuteronomy 31, it bookends it. I'm giving you this land, it's a done deal. And you want me to take possession of it? Yes. So what you're saying is God gives the victory, but it doesn't remove our responsibility. That is exactly what I'm saying. God has given the victory, but it doesn't remove our responsibility. In fact, if you were to say, well, give me a New Testament idea on God is the one who is doing it, but he still calls me to work. No problem. Romans eight thirteen, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Key. This is key to us being a holy people. This is key to us being a thankful people. But if by the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity who resides in us, if by the Spirit there is your power, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If by the Spirit there is your power, you put to death the deeds of the body, there is our responsibility, here is the promise, you will live. And that is exactly what he did in the Old Testament. It's exactly what he did in the New Testament. There's no difference. This is a God who is a God of grace, and he calls us to holiness. Amen? He is the Redeemer. And so he summarizes it. In verses 23 and 24, he summarizes that his works... It is he who remembered us in our lowest state and rescued us from our foes. There's salvation history. If you remember back to Exodus 2, he remembers. There arose a Pharaoh who did not know the people, and he enslaved the people, and the people cried out. It's just such a simple little phrase, and it says, he knew. It's, It's not like he forgot, and then, oh, yeah, 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 I forgot my life. He knew. And at his perfect time, he goes and he rescues his people who rescued us from our foes. Paul says it like this in Galatians. He rescued us from this present evil age. It's a done deal. It's past tense. We're going to heaven. Praise the Lord. It is well with our souls. And we're still called to fight the good fight of faith. And he ends with his natural history. He gives food to all flesh. Now that doesn't mean that... uh, Every single person is taken care of. It just means that anytime we eat, he is the one who provides. Sometimes he withholds for his good reasons. Again, not for us to talk about today, but sometimes he does that. And we of all people, we of all people should be the most thankful people in City Market. Next time you go, I'm gonna forever change the way you grocery shop. When you go into city market, you and I should be amazed that the last can of those peas, because peas are good for you, the last can, the minute you pull those off and you swipe it with this cool electronic thing, it sends something to somewhere else and probably to somebody else that said, we need more peas. And we can forget that next week those peas will be right there in that spot, not because of Le or whoever makes peas, but because of God. And we walk down there, and there are loads of different kinds of bread. I mean, you you, you can spend ten minutes there just bread and then you go right we're supposed to stay on the outside here right that's good healthy stuff stay on the outside and you go and you look at the fruit i'm just you're you're there with me in city market you've passed the bread you've passed the deli and there you are you've got cuties you've got bananas you've got all like there's not just red delicious there's gala there's uh, food fu- fuji not fiji i'd like to go to fiji to eat fuji apples Fuji apples, there's limes, there's, there's the organic section. Uh, you just go down and God's given it all. And we forget that. Excuse me, I won't impose that. I forget that. Go get some popcorn, go get some bananas, go get some apples, in, out, on with life, boom. No, the next time it's, oh, thank you. And then you can go down on the other end and you can look for popcorn on a date wasn't that fun? And there's popcorn seeds. Well, look at that. All sorts. Of, there's not just one type. There's three types. Anthers organic, we just found out. Pretty cool. There's milk, yogurt, eggs, bacon. All sorts of bacon. And we forget about it. And we just, oh yeah, bacon. The bacon's always going to be there. Praise the Lord. Why? verse 25, he gives food to all flesh. You and I may purchase it. City market may get the revenue and they may send some monies to the state for tax and other people who put their uh, supplies in there may get some of that cash. Let us never, ever, ever, ever forget God is the one who provides. Our God is eternally, abundantly, graciously faithful. He creates and he cares. And for that, we should be thankful. And that is exactly how the psalm ends. Give thanks to the God of heaven. And if you look at it now and you step back from the psalm, you see it's a a walk through salvation history. Here's creation and implied there's sin and there's redemption. And it takes them into an established land. Doesn't that sound something... Like us, we were created and we sinned against God and he has saved us. He calls us to fight now, though he gives us the victory. And one day there will be a new heavens and a new earth. There's a picture of your life in 26 verses. The steadfast love of the Lord is forever. So what am I wanting us to do as a response to this? I think there's only one thing appropriate to do. When you write a thank you card, don't you get energized? Doesn't there's just something right right about writing. There's just something appropriate about writing a thank you card. Dear sweetie pie. Thank you for teaching our kids Thank you for loving me. Thank you for ordering our house. Thank you for doing all the grocery shopping. Don't forget City Market. God is the one who provides. Thank you. It just energizes you. And when you receive those thank you cards, they told us in seminary, a wise pastor once told us in seminary, you need to have a rainy day day file. It's a rainy day file. He said, just drop all the thank you cards in there because there's going to be a rainy day where you just need to read through that. Because when you read a thank you card, you're encouraged. There's just something divine about acknowledging. That's what a thank you is. It's an attitude of the heart that leads to an action of acknowledging something. And so today's sermon is preparatory. You've got about 10 days, 11 days until Thanksgiving. My encouragement to you would be journal your own reflections on God's greatness and God's goodness. And if you're poetic, put it in a poem. Share it with your family. And let's let thanksgiving, like the steadfast love of the Lord, permeate everything we do this holy day season. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your grace. Lord, I am thankful. As Paul said in Philippians chapter three or chapter one, I am thankful In all my remembrance of every person here, I'm thankful. And always in every prayer that I offer up to you, I will make my prayer with joy. Lord, allow me personally to live that out each week. As people in this congregation come to mind, let me express and acknowledge my thankfulness to you for them. All of us are unique, Lord. All of us contribute great things. You have so designed it that we cannot live independent of one another, but we live inter- dependent on one another. And so let us express our thanksgiving this week. I pray, Lord, as we go into this season uh, with many things to buy and many parties to attend and lots to eat, that we would always remember that you are the one that gives us our food, that we would give you the glory in all that we do. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are helping with communion today? Go ahead and... Luke 22, starting in verse 14, is Luke's recounting of the Lord's Supper, that which we take every week here. I invite you to join us if you know the Lord Jesus. Luke says, and when the hour had come, he reclined at table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Just reading it, he's earnestly desired. Jesus earnestly desires to be with his people. For I tell you, I will not eat of it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and here's the phrase I want you to hear, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and invite it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and here's the other phrase, and when he had given thanks. Jesus, the one who modeled for us Perfectly, the inward attitude reflected in an outward action. He broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This is the cup poured out for you is the new covenant of my blood. Let us take the elements. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who modeled for us everything we should do. And, uh, oh, how quickly I read over your text at times and don't camp on phrases. But I thank you that our uh, Savior, the one who we're being conformed to, the one who calls us to do uh, what we should do and enables us to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit, was a model of thanksgiving. Twice we see it in that paragraph so we don't miss it. That Jesus was thankful. Help us be the most thankful people on the earth this holiday season. And Father, uh, I thank you personally for your grace in my life. May we never forget what Jesus has done for us on the cross. May we always, as Colossians tells us, with thanksgiving in our heart, honor you, and bring glory to your name. We thank you. We praise you. Praise we go this week. We might look around and see how much you've given us, especially in this valley of the beauty of creation, and reflect on what you've done in our hearts so that we might, with Horatio Spafford, say, it is well with our souls. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
0: Would you guys stand with us?